1: Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Lockdown Wolves podcast for the Lockdown Podcast Network. As always, your host here, Cole Molesky, bringing you daily Timberwolves content. Make sure to check out the Lockdown Wolves fan rate website for written content as well as prior podcasts. We've had some great guests on, and I would encourage you to give those shows, they listen or re-listen to some of those shows, really good content on the past podcasts over the last few months. Today, we are recapping the Timberwolves' 121-105 victory over the Houston Rockets in the Target Center in Minneapolis in Game 3. They will be playing Game 4 tonight, Monday the 23rd. We'll be talking about that as well. Here to break down all the action with us, Ben Dubose of the Locked on Rockets podcast podcast. First of all, Ben, what are your reactions from Game 3? The Timberwolves actually were able to grab a game in the series after a really terrible showing in Game 2. What are your thoughts, and what was your initial response to the game dropped by Houston?
0: Mostly disappointed, certainly impressed by the Timberwolves, but you've heard going into the Game 3 that the Rockets understood the sense of urgency that the Timberwolves would be playing with, the intensity of the crowd, all those types of things, and ultimately, The the Rockets just didn't match it. Well, the Timberwolves played really well. There's a lot of talent. But the flip side is you don't go from what the Rockets did defensively in game two and they limited necessarily just 82 points, 35 in the middle two quarters, and then that 52 to 20 run to giving up 121 just based on what the opponent does. It's also somewhat what you do or don't do when the swing is that wild. And ultimately, the Timberwolves made some shots. That's great, but the, the Rockets, they treated the game exactly like they said they wouldn't, which was that they had one to throw away, and that's dangerous in a playoff series. So It's going to be a big challenge tonight to see if they match the urgency that the Timberwolves played with, because ultimately, you know, some of the stuff the Rockets struggled with, they're going to make more shots at some point this series. Eric Gordon is going to get going, that sort of stuff. But the thing that's really troubling, uh, all of game three and the parts of game one, the dribble penetration, it feels like no one is able to consistently stay in front of Jeff T. Derrick Rose, it collapses the defense. That's what leads to so many not just threes, but wide open threes. Even though the Timberwolves are not known as a three point shooting team, if you're getting looks that are wide open, it's going to be a problem. So ultimately, uh, part of it's physical. The Rockets need to find the right matchups, especially for those guards. But secondly, I mean, it's just a matter of intensity. The Wolves wanted it more in Game Three, and hopefully, uh, here on the Rockets' side of defense, it's a wake up call uh, that Houston sees the energy they need to play with which is what they showed in game two. It absolutely did not, the complete opposite in game
1: three. Harden with 29 points in this one. He he looked really good late in this game, kind of still keeping the Rockets hanging around. The The lead was as, uh, as big as 19 for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and it's crazy to think, but Harden is so good, even when they are up by 19, I was still nervous because James Harden still can do James Harden things in this game. Although the the rest of the roster didn't really play up to expectations, I think that they had set for themselves over the regular season. You had Chris Paul with 17 points. He shot 63% from the field. You had Eric Gordon. He had 15. First really signs of life from him. Uh, He shot 31%, took a lot of shots, 16 in this game. I guess what this leads up for to me is... Is it a concern yet that for the Houston Rockets, it doesn't really seem like they've had more than maybe three guys really involved in a game yet this series?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been a while, and that's been the theme of Mikey Antoni's discussion between games, is they're trying to get back to where they were offensively over the balance of 82 games. They are one of the best in NBA history, and they still haven't found that. Now, they always say, you know, why not start today, and they'll try, but... Ultimately, down the stretch of the regular season, they clinched the number one seed with seven games still to play. The last seven games of the season, the offense definitely took a dip, and they've improved a little bit this series, but certainly not to where it was the first 75 games of the year. So it's a concern. I guess the good news for the Rockets is that they did score 30 in the fourth quarter. I thought they got going more offensively. I really thought that the the defining sequence of game three, to me, there's a stretch early in the fourth quarter, you mentioned Timberwolves got that 19-point lead, and the Rockets hit him with a quick burst to get it back down to nine, and a lot of us in Houston thought, okay, this is when they flip the switch, and then as soon as they did that, Minnesota went on the 9 run, pushed it right back out to mm. 18. I think Butler had a play in there. I believe Carl Anthony Townsend had a three-point play. Jeff Teague might have as well. I forgot the third player in that try trifecta, but what it showed me is that Minnesota is good enough offensively, there's enough talent. And if you're the Rockets, you can't dig these big deficits and then just think that well, even with our offense, when we flip the switch, which again they had 30 plus in the fourth quarter of Game Three, that's progress. But even so, I mean, Minnesota has enough talent that it's not like you can just expect to hold them to say 15 points in a quarter if that's what you need to do. So I think it's a combination. The Rockets need to be better offensively. I think the key for them, as we said in the early going, is Eric Gordon because you need more consistency outside of James Harden and Chris Paul, Eric Gordon's kind of their third creator on the season. He hasn't been there this series, shooting is 28% on the series. They need more from him. And then in general, they just need to take the game more seriously from the outset because I think what game three shows you is that if you dig yourself a big hole, it's pretty challenging because even if you do turn it on offensively late, it's problematic because Minnesota is not an easy team to lock up just based on how many quality players there are on the Wolf roster.
1: On the flip side of this, everything really that has been a complaint on the Timberwolves' side kind of just flipped the switch. Uh, they changed gears. They did a lot better job fixing the mistakes that you saw in the first two games. Towns with more shots. He had 13 attempts. Lots of those inside. He only took three. He only took two three-point attempts, and he had a, a lot of shots inside, which resulted in a lot of trips to the free-throw line. He had seven attempts from the free-throw line, made all of them. He ended with 18 points, 16 boards. Just a lot more paint play for him. Uh, I wanted to get to Wiggins and Butler as well, but. What were your thoughts from Towns? Is this maybe the scariest possible outcome, is that Butler looks like he's healthy at the same time that they're actually getting Towns more involved in the game plan?
0: Sure. I mean, I, I've said on Twitter, my feed at Denji Rose, that Minnesota, to me, is, when they're right, as good as any perhaps better non-Golden State playoff team in the West. Really, you look at this season, Minnesota was a three or four seed most of the way until Jimmy got hurt. So with Butler healthy, scoring 28 the other night and moving well, and I know he rolled the ankle, but at least the meniscus seems to be behind him. They're a daunting team, and so that's why I tell Rockets fans, I know there's an 8 by their name, but realistically, Minnesota, they're as talented, perhaps even more so, than whoever you might play in the second round, meaning Utah or Oklahoma City. Minnesota can be a very good team. As far as Carl Anthony Towns, it didn't surprise me that much. I think this matchup of young bigs, Capella and Carl Anthony Towns, it's the type of setting where both of those guys tend to play a lot better at home. They're both very, mm-hmm. very good. I wouldn't necessarily call them true, you know, top ten stars, but they're very good, and so they're kind of the quintessential young guys in their low 20s. Capella in his second playoff run as a starter, Cat in his first. I think both those guys, they kind of feed off the home crowd, so it doesn't surprise me too much. I don't know if it's so much a tactical adjustment that Tom Thibodeau made, whereas I think it's just easier for uh, – for Carl Anthony Towns to kind of filter out the noise and, and keep pushing when he's got that crowd behind him. Also, I think you probably get a few more favorable whistles when you're at home as opposed to on the road. That's just the, that's just the way it works. So it, it didn't surprise me. Ultimately, it's up to Capella to adjust. The one thing that I did not like as far as the rocket side of the fence, Capella going one of six from the line. He's actually, since the beginning of March, It's kind of been under the radar. There's been a lot made this year of his improvement at the free-throw line, but since the start of March, he's right at about 40%, which is not good at all because, A, it potentially brings Haka Capella into the equation if there's a close game down the stretch. Mm -hmm. It's something that Thibodeau and other coaches, if the Rockets are fortunate enough to advance, can employ. And the other thing, Capella had just seven points in game three. I think part of it is he's not making his free throws, the Rockets are very reluctant to even get him that many touches on the low block to begin with out of fear that he could be fouled. So I think it's one of those things Capella missing his free throws on the road, Cat getting going. It's just something that happens with young players when you flip from a home playoff game to a road in the Rockets case or road to home in the Timberwolves case. And so ultimately, I, the Rockets saw what happened in game three. didn't work out for them. And now they've got to figure out a way to adjust in the hours before game four today.
1: That will become, a, I think, increasingly more interesting story, too, if they're able to somehow pull off the, the Game 4 win, and then you have to, if you're Houston, you do have to head back to Minnesota for the Game 6. For Game 6. Yeah, it will yep. become interesting to see the, the flip uh, of these young guys, home versus away, and how that plays into a longer series than maybe a lot of people anticipated. Before we get to break here, I wanted to touch on one other thing, Jimmy Butler. Is this the first – I'm saying this is the first time he's looked healthy, fully healthy in this series. Would you agree with that?
0: Somewhat. I I think – I don't know how much of it is health and how much of it is more assertive because, to me, games one and two, it felt like he was moving slowly. He just looked a little timid. Whereas, I think game three, I think Minnesota approached it with much more of a we have nothing to lose. When you're down two nothing, and you're kind of at, at that point of wounded animal, you have to win. You have to go out guns blazing. I think the first two games Minnesota was a little tentative. You know, maybe there are some injuries with that, but I didn't really see him limping all that much. I thought I thought what it was more just Minnesota trying a young team getting their footing in the playoffs, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. And in game three, you just kind of had a pedal to the metal look, this could be it. If we're going to go out, we're going to go out swinging. And so I think you just saw much more uh, shot-happy Jimmy Butler, a guy who, you know, wasn't trying to tiptoe around. He was ready to shoot the ball, be aggressive, and if they lose, he wanted to go down swinging. And kudos to him. That's exactly what he did.
1: Well, I think, too, it might have been more, when I'm looking at his injury, I think it was more the risk that might have been hampering him, especially okay. in that game, too, uh, just yeah. because – I feel like if Jimmy Butler really wants to take over a game, he's just going to do it regardless of uh, maybe what the coach is saying. He knows how good of a player he is, and he can take over games. And so when he's only shooting like in game two six times, I think that is more to do with he doesn't trust his shooting form with that wrist the way it was, as opposed to him maybe following a certain game plan.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about the meniscus, but you're right. We did see the cameras capturing him with the wrist, the tape, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's... Yeah, he was moving well, because I think, Jeremy, I mean, the thing I'm watching the most is that minutes after a couple of months, but yeah, you're right, it could be, you know, it's all speculative, because they've been kind of hush-hush about it, but yeah, it could have been the risk too, you're right about
1: that. It was good to see him, whatever the case, it was good to see him put up 20 28 points and get the seven boards, five assists, he shot 52%. We're going to, I want to talk about a couple more things from this game before we get to uh, some previewing for Game 4. First, a word from some sponsors. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Timberwolves take game three by a score of 121-105. We just had a couple more things to touch on. First of all, I wanted to talk about Wiggins shooting 63% from the field. He went four of six from downtown, 20 points for him on the night, five and five for rebounds and assists. I think it was really crucial for him to hit th- the three pointers early in this game. I think it's really crucial for Wiggins just to hit some big shots early in games to get him going. But then you had Jeff T going three of five. You had Wiggins, or uh, excuse me, Jimmy Butler going four of six as well from downtown. The knock has always been for the Timberwolves, not that you want a bunch of guys to shoot threes, you just want the right guys to take a few more three-pointers. And Teague, Wiggins, and Butler, to an extent, are all the guys that you want shooting a few more threes, and I think you saw them typically shoot, especially in this series. They hit as many threes as the the Rockets did, uh, 15 for each of these teams, uh, 27 attempts from three-point range. For the Timberwolves, they shot 55% on the night, really really great game for the Timberwolves just because they're able to knock down some threes and then really work their game inside if you're looking at the the point guard play from the Timberwolves Jeff Teague with the 23 points you have Rose in 21 minutes he gets 17 points and he shoots 50 percent does a really good job taking efficient shots for him If these point guards continue to play like this, is this kind of the the thing that could all fit together? You have Towns, he's feeling it a little bit at home. Great home atmosphere there. You have Jimmy Butler looking really healthy and taking more shots. And then if you're able to mix in some really good point guard play, is this now maybe the the perfect storm for the Timberwolves to knock off the the Rockets, or at least give them a really good challenge in Game 4?
0: Yeah, I think it's enough to give them a challenge, because the issue for the Rockets in this series, in my opinion far and away, it's been dribble penetration. And then by that, I mean things they can control. Mm-hmm. Now, offensively, they've missed more shots than you'd like. So i about Eric Gordon earlier. James Harden had a bad game two. Chris Ball had a bad game one. But all of that is generally random. Over the course of seven games, the Rockets are going to make enough shots. In terms of what Minnesota is doing right, what's not just sheer randomness, it's that you're getting the three-point looks because those point guards are collapsing the Rockets' defense, and that's why there was a stat earlier today I saw that the that the Timberwolves had just a ridiculous amount of wide open threes in Game Three, substantially more than what they had in Game Two, and it's because when Teague or or Rose blow by the initial defender, then ultimately there's not a lot the Rockets can do other than send help, and you know they'll help off Wiggins because they'll balance his career. Maybe that's the guy you want to help off of, but he's still proven capable of hitting that shot, as evidenced by four of six in Game Three. The, as far as Houston is concerned, it's interesting because I didn't necessarily know it at the time, but the way it's playing out, this series, they are really missing Luke Bob Mute a lot. Because when you look at the Rockets, as far as perimeter defenders, there's not a whole lot of quickness. Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker, they're good defensive guys, but they're more tough. You know, they're more mm-hmm. physical. Yeah. They're more, of course, they start at the forward spots but these are guys in their 30s. You know, they can, they can cover a guard on a switch here and there, but you don't want to just... It's unrealistic to expect them to pick up a guy like Jeff Teague who wants to always probe for 30-plus minutes a game. Chris Paul, he's okay at it, but Chris Paul is 32. He's more of a team defender in terms of his IQ. He does not move laterally the same way he did when he was 25. Jim mm-hmm. Harden... There's been a lot made in James Harden's defensive improvement, but most of James Harden's defensive improvement is on the low block. He's a good low-post defender. He's not—he's never been the quickest guy laterally. So there's not a whole lot the Rockets can do in a perimeter to stop the ball. That's where Luke Babute comes in. He's probably the most flexible defender. He can move his feet well, and also he's very long. And so not having him to pick up those guards, I think that's something the Rockets are really feeling. And ultimately – He's close enough. He's been working out with the team. I think if the series went to six or seven games, I think Bob Luce would come back this round, and ultimately he could make a difference. But it's one of those things, the Rockets don't want to rush him back, and if the Rockets have to go six or seven games, even if they ultimately win the series, then it forces them to expend a lot more energy than they would have liked, and maybe to even risk further injury with Bob Luce with that dislocated shoulder that's now happened twice. Well, I think you're right. The Minnesota points guards that's the thing to watch. The Rockets were decent added in game two. I never want to say they were great, because it is a physical mismatch. But game three, yeah, those Minnesota points are, they just collapsed the Houston defense, and there was just not a lot that the Rockets had uh, to answer it. And it ended up happening. Of course, they scored a lot, but what it really led to was just a wide open three time and time again, because it was just too easy for Minnesota to get right into the rim, and from there, you the whole defense and we know what happens from there.
1: So in Game 4, do you anticipate the Rockets to try and switch even more? to try? Because you said they have older guys who maybe aren't going to move laterally, keep up when with a driving T or Derrick Rose. Do you expect them to maybe switch off of guys more so that you have guys hanging around the perimeter a little more and switch guys who are would be on a driving Teague switch off of them to get out to the perimeter faster, or do you kind of bet that the Timberwolves, a not great three point shooting team, aren't going to hit that many threes in Game Four?
0: Honestly, I think it's both. I mean, you have to hope that they're not going to shoot fifteen to twenty seven again. I don't care if you're wide open or going against air; that's a pretty tough number. And so the Rockets are expecting some regression from behind the arc. And I think it's important to remember the Timberwolves were winning this game before they went on that big three in the third quarter. I think it could be yeah. in the fourth quarter. I think it could be misleading the fixation on the 15 of 27. It's relevant because the Rockets did try to flip the switch in the fourth quarter, and ultimately them flipping the switch didn't matter uh, because the, answer, the Timberwolves answered with all those threes. But even before they hit that high volume, the Timberwolves were still winning this game oftentimes very comfortably by anywhere I'd say from 8 to 12 points. So while the three-point shooting is a part of the story, it's not the whole story. I do expect them to switch a whole heck of a lot, not necessarily to prevent the threes, because I think the Rockets, you know, they know they have to live with Minnesota shooting some of those. There's just too much talent otherwise. And I think the reason switching is important for the Rockets is because you don't want to tax any one defender too much. So I think that's why you'll see them you'll see them switch and kind of go back and forth in terms of who's picking up who. I think in general, if you're asking guys like Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker to play extended time on the likes of Jeff Teague, Derek Rose, whoever it may be, then I think the key is to make sure that you're not asking too much of any one player. So you might have, you know, Ariza do it for a few minutes. You might have Tucker do it for a few minutes. You might have Chris Paul do it for a few minutes. And, of course, it's going to vary based on exactly what the switches are. And occasionally you might have, you know, a Ryan Anderson type get moved on to someone. But in general, I think the key for the Rockets as long as they don't have Bamute, it's to just try and diversify their defenders as much as possible. And from there, I think maybe you uh, can kind of collectively reduce that fatigue wall as best you can.
1: Well, and you mentioned how the the 15 for 27 can grab eyes, but it's not the most important thing that the Timberwolves are doing. It, it, it just makes me think... It's so important when Jeff Teague and Derrick Rose drive to the basket because, and it's so important to have Towns in the paint because they're not necessarily looking to drive and kick it all the way up to the three-point line like I think you see the Rockets a lot of times are looking for. You see a lot from Rose and Teague where they're looking for Towns or or Tosh Gibson around the basket or in the paint or or somewhere maybe in that 15-foot range. They're looking for to, to pitch it right to them, make that quick little pass to Towns when that defender is caught looking at Teague, looking inside at Teague. They'll make that short little pass and they'll have towns with enough space to make the the 10-foot floater And so the point guards for the Timberwolves do a great job of looking for for the the shooters and who can make shots to their strength. They're not necessarily looking for a Jamal Crawford in the corner, even though he can knock down that shot. They're looking for Gibson and Towns to make that close, high-efficiency shot. And so that's something I thought you saw a lot in the third quarter, which is where they outscored Houston 35-24. to And I think it's something, if you have Towns in the paint again in Game 4, I think it's something you could see again where you have Teague and Rose, two guys who combined for 10 assists in Game 3, I think those are the assists they're going to be looking for, especially coming out of the second quarter. If you can be within three points of the Rockets going into the half, and then you come out strong and you have a great game inside, which leads to shooting outside in the fourth quarter, I think that's really the setup that you, and and kind of the the process of actions you're looking for if you're the Timberwolves.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's important also to make Capella respect Towns as a scorer. Because I think what happened a lot in game one and game two, as far as preventing those threes, you can also have Capella feel very free to sort of roam in some of these sequences and uh, because he's not that afraid of what Carl Anthony Towns is going to do. So I think if you get those big guys involved, it makes it harder for the bigs of Houston to come off and help a little bit more because it makes them stay more aware of their guy. You know, Carl is only scoring five points in the game, which is just crazy in game two, and he's You know, and he's barely looking to shoot in the second half. It makes it all the easier for you know, as I said, some of the quickness issues for Houston guarding the point guards. Well, you can kind of have Capella in a free safety roaming role a little bit, whereas Mm -hmm. I think you get those bigs involved. Not only, uh, of course, does it make the offense more diverse, which oftentimes leads to more threes because there's more to account for. But you're also keeping. I don't know if you call Capella an eraser, but he's extremely athletic, he's very smart, he's a very big part of Houston's defense, and so you're just keeping him a little more occupied than you did in the first two games when Cat's offense was just not there.
1: And again, the the more decisions you're making a young guy like Capella make like those uh, in a road game and maybe a a setting where he's not as comfortable as he is in Houston, the better it is for Timberwolves, the Timberwolves uh, especially late in that game. Before we head out here, last thing I wanted to ask you, worry scale from 1 to 10 for this just this game, not the series. I'm not saying the Timberwolves are going to knock off the Houston Rockets in the series, but just game 4, where's the worry scale at for the Rockets?
0: I'm going to say 5. I'm going to split the difference because I think it's kind of, I don't know, 50-50. I think part of what happened, is certainly within the Rockets' control. Mm -hmm. They got fat and happy. They need to play harder. And defensively, some of the things go away. If they just bring the intensity that they played with in game two, that will solve some of it. However, I don't think it solves all of it, because let's let's be real, it's not like the Rockets, everything went right for Minnesota, and they still won only by three or four points. No, Minnesota won pretty convincingly. They won by 16, and I, I believe it was in single digits one time in the fourth quarter. Minnesota was clearly the better team on Saturday. So I think the Rockets can and will adjust to make this close, and if it's close, you have to like the experience of the Rockets, guys like Chris Paul and James Harden down the stretch of the fourth quarter. But when you lose by 16 points, it's not all just try harder. Part of it is how talented Minnesota is, and especially if they're at home and you get Carl Anthony Towns going like he did and Jimmy Butler's healthy, they're a very good team. So ultimately, while well, I expect the Rockets to be better, and you know I would lean to them winning just because I think if it's close, I would go with the Rockets' experience executing the last, three minutes of a close game, much the same way we saw happen in game one. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think there's some matchup things, especially stopping dribble penetration without Luka Mute. Those issues are real, and you don't lose by 16 points just based on a lack of effort on your end. You also lose because the other team is doing that well. So, you know, I wouldn't say, I'm oh, the Rockets can't beat them. No, the Rockets certainly can beat them. But Minnesota, even if Houston is playing well, there's enough talent in Minnesota, especially at Target Center, that they can make it close. And at that point, you know, it, at the very least, it it's making me sweat as a Rockets guy more than I expected walking out of Toyota Center after Game 2. Let's put it that way.
1: I like it because after Game 1, the worry scale for Game 2 for the Rockets was probably like a negative 6. So I'll take a 5. I'll take a 5 out of 10. For sure. I'm excited for this game. I think that the playoff atmosphere in Minnesota will match what it was in Game 3. I think that the fans were really hungry for this game and that the Timberwolves performed admirably in front of them and that they'll be behind the Wolves again in Game 4 hopefully you can get Towns going early again. I think that he should stay in the paint and I like that Rose is playing more with the starters and I like the two guards set and I like how they cut to the basket. I like Jimmy Butler playing really healthy and I like Wiggins when he's shooting six times from three. I like all of it. It should be really fun. That's that's all you can really ask for. When your team hasn't been to the playoffs in 13 seasons, I just want a good series. So That's what it is now I think at 2-1 advantage Rockets and I think going into game four, this could be a really fun game and I I think it'll make for a really great series down the stretch here. Thanks, Ben, for coming on. Uh, check him out at Locked On Rockets. Also check out his Twitter at Ben Debose. Check out my Twitter at C. Molesky. Check out the Locked On Wolves fan reg website. And thank you so much to the listeners for tuning in to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.